fellow with us. Dylan, why don't you go ahead and make your way up here, please? Uh, Dylan, uh, yes, you can give it up. Yeah, Dylan, uh, a lot of th- those of you who are new at Vintage, from uh, your, your guest, your guest, welcome to Vintage 242. Uh, we are a, a church who we believe in, we believe in missions, we believe in missions locally, we believe in missions overseas, we just believe in missions in general. And so uh, we, and, but we're one of those churches that we don't take like hundreds of, of, of missionaries and try to invest in them. We just take a few and try to do our best job and spend a lot of time, money, and energy on them. And so, so you see here the whole family, uh, Dylan right here, Molly, Asher, Elijah, and Jacob, right? Who's the newest addition? Jacob's on the, obviously the smallest on the far left. Uh, he's the newest addition since they were here last. And, uh, and so they are serving in, in Bangalore, India, the southern part of India, right? So if you, this is India, they're like right here and it's in the middle, okay, at the bottom, all right? And they've been there now for about, I was going to say eight, but it's been seven years. I'll just listen to you. I've been there for seven years and serving India, serving alongside different ministries while they've been there. And now they're doing this thing called Daughters of Hope. Daughters of Hope. And Daughters of Hope, uh, I wrote down, they're doing vocational training. They are taking the marginalized, the oppressed, the forgotten, specifically focusing on women uh, who honestly are very... um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for there. I put it here. Uh, it, well, I can't. I didn't put it there. But just very susceptible. That's the word I was looking for. Susceptible. I say susceptible. Thank you. I can't say that word very well. They're susceptible to specifically tra- trafficking, to the slave trade. And so they've come and they've given themselves as a ministry, coming to Daughters of Hope, teaching these women a trade, teaching them textiles, giving them a job, paying them a fair uh, a wage. And it's just been phenomenal, obviously, and all in doing that in the name of Jesus and the gospel and sharing Jesus and the whole context. And so I want you to hear me say as they come up here today that we are 100% behind Dylan. We're 100% behind what they're doing. We're 100% behind Daughters of Hope. We believe in this ministry. But I do want to say, as I said in the first service, that if, that there is no Superman cape on Dylan, right? And what I mean by that, if, if, you, if you grew up in church at all, you know there were like the regular people in church, and then there were like the pastors or the priests or the rectors, whatever you call them in your tradition, and then you had like the missionaries and the missionaries were the only ones who were allowed to wear jeans to church, right? They could do whatever they wanted to do because they were missionaries, right? And they would come and they could say whatever they wanted to say. Missionaries had this, like this special treatment, right? I was like, oh my gosh. And everybody's like, it's the missionary family, right? And they were always so much more holy and so much better. And I'll just say this, I love Dylan and Molly, but they're not better, right? And what I mean by that is simply this. Do, I was going to say Dolly and Dylan. Uh, <laughs> Dylan and Molly. Dylan and Molly are like when James says, Elijah was a man just like us who prayed that it would not rain. And it didn't rain. He prayed that it would rain and it did. And the whole point that James was making was saying, listen, Elijah was just a human being. He was not any better than any of us or any more holy or any more special. He was just someone who had a unique calling on his life. And James was saying, and so do you. 
And so when Dylan's here today, I mean, we love him. We think he's doing great. We want to cheer for him and clap. We want to do believe great things. But I want you just to recognize he's talking and telling these stories about the calling and the things that God's doing in them, the things that God is doing through them. I don't want you to go, oh, it's the missionary. I want you to think, oh, it's my brother. And if he has a calling, then I wonder what mine is. We want to come alongside and support, and yes, it's a unique and special calling in India, and we want to come alongside and support. But instead of today putting him on a pedestal, just saddle up next to him as a brother, coming alongside and saying, as you serve God, so do we. Is that cool with you guys? All right. So with that, I want to just want to talk about Daughters of Hope a little bit. We'll talk about what they're, go- what they're doing. So Dylan, why don't you just kind of start just by talking about how are you guys doing? What's going on? I would love, we didn't do it at 11 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock, but I would love you to even talk about, because Cyan Lane, if you don't know, Cyan Lane, who are part of Vintage, have been from the beginning. We just commissioned them back in December to go to India. This is Cy's boss. Okay, and so there's that level of connection obviously in their community too. But but the point is like this is this is the ministry that they're partnered with right here. Here's some of the women. Um, so just kind of first, kind of talk about what's going on in your family. I would love you just to tell them how Cy and Lane are doing, and yeah. we can go from there. Well, it's great to be here this morning. And Vintage is 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 very much a home community for us. Um, I regret that my wife and and uh, kids couldn't be here this this time. They're in Arkansas right now with the grandparents. They they are in the states, but it couldn't be here this time. But it's. Uh, even along the lines of what you were saying, um, for us, the, the, pro- the process in India has not been, um, it's been, it's been a literally day-to-day just following the God, God's call. Our, our initial time in India, we never thought that we would be there even seven years. We never thought we'd have kids there. We never thought we'd raise our kids there. Now I have three little white Indian boys with Indian accents that come back and I have to translate for them for grandparents. What, what are they saying? I can't understand. So, but it was one step at a time. And um, we, we initially would, you know, tell our parents, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to the States probably when we have kids. Well, that didn't happen. Well, probably when they go to, into school, we'll, we'll move back. At this point, we just say, you know, we're not sure when we're coming back. You know, because it's not been a... Uh, it almost would have been intimidating for us to think, oh, be in India seven years and raise your family. But we just took it one step at, the t- at a time, and, and it's, our, it's our joy. It's our deepest joy to be there, um, and we just feel privileged to be a part of it. And this year has been amazing. Um, like you said, we've had a new baby born, Jacob. He's eight months old now, so he's come back, first time back in the States and, and meeting grandparents, and that's been wonderful. Um, Daughters of Hope, um, this past year, year and a half since I've been here, we, we, we came uh, back in 2012, uh, last time we were here at Vintage. A lot's happened since then. Um, the Lord has been blessing us, even from the business side, and we've had more ladies we've been able to hire. In fact, the day before we left to come here, we just hired five new ladies, and we've been able to continue uh, just to expand our reach of, of, uh, for the gospel through this. So like Steve said, Daughters of Hope is a, is a business, and we train and employ a very poor, um, oppressed, marginalized women um, that are really needing, more than anything, some form of income to provide for their families. Um, so we've seen um, the stories that we have within Daughters of Hope are just amazing. I mean, our, our, it's a Christian community, and those that come in uh, primarily from a Hindu background We've just seen such amazing stories. Um, I'll just share the story of Lakshmi Devi. Uh, we had talked like, about it. What's their name real slow? Lakshmi Devi. Lakshmi Devi. 
I there you go. You got a picture of, of her from the first service, and she brought her up. Oh, we were able to get a picture awesome. for this service. Um, she's uh, she's one that just came on the past uh, four, uh, three, four months, and when she came on, uh, our Indian leadership uh, staff they were said, you know, are you sure you want to hire her? Um, I said, why? Because she is a very outspoken anti-Christian Hindu woman. Okay, well, that, that, that's definitely something to consider on the resume because we are very much a Christian company, and we, but we, we, we focus on bringing Hindu ladies in. Uh, but generally, I would listen to that, and, and, and we have to be cautious about who's going to cause trouble for us. But Molly and I both really felt that God had a plan for Lakshmi Devi. She was um, very spunky, to say the least. Um, she came in, she told us a story about how um, she had been trying to get onto a bus one day, trying to get a bus. She didn't have exact change, so the man kicked her off. He said, no, we don't have change, just get off. She waited for the bus to go all the way to the circuit and come back again. She climbed on the bus, dragged the guy off, pulled his pants down, and started beating him with a stick in the middle of the road. This is Lakshmi Devi. They had to... The people on the bus had to pull her off him. You're going to kill this guy. <laughs> so she was very angry, very intense lady. She was drawn to Daughters of Hope because of her extreme poverty. She came into our community, and she um, immediately started to become interested in Jesus. We've had a lot of Hindu ladies that have become believers. And so we had a discipleship group, and she asked, can I join the discipleship group? I said, yeah, sure. She sat in the back, kind of taking it in. One day she said to us, you know, my Hindu gods are doing nothing for me. They're only causing me trouble. I'll try this Jesus. So, okay, that's one way of thinking about it. Um, but that's when she started to pray to Jesus. Her husband was, uh, he, he can't walk, he's crippled. She started praying with her, for her husband, and within that week he was up walking in the house. She has become an incredible believer and, and passionate for the Lord Jesus. She had a Christian neighbor in her, in her house that was terrified of her. And she's coming to the Lord, and she has become the uh, shining light for the gospel in her, in her neighborhood. She actually invited us, along with Sai and Lay and some of our Indian uh, leadership, to her house. She said, I've taken down all my Hindu gods. I want you guys to pray for my house, consecrate it to the Lord. We were able to go over there and pray for her, meet her neighbor. She said, I was terrified of, of this lady. <laughs> and now she's like a sister in Christ. Um, just, just amazing. And, this, and Lakshmi Devi has just joined us a few months ago. So it's just been really neat. And this is just one of so many stories, like even last time sharing just stories of visions of, coming, uh, of people seeing the Lord Jesus um, and coming to him in visions and dreams, um, healings. It's been just amazing. So uh, we just count ourselves just a uh, blessed to be a part of it. Cy and Lane have also joined this year. They have been such an amazing asset to our community. In fact, when we were going through a process of getting them to come over here, I don't think we fully realized how much of a need they would be filling until really the month before they were coming, Molly and I were like, get over here. We need you guys. It was so, so soon. Um, so it was the timing was from the Lord. Moving with, with two small kids is no easy task. And people say, uh, are amazed that we have had our kids there. I'm amazed with people that uproot their family and, and move out of their comfort zone like Cy and Elaine have. They've been an amazing asset, and we're just so thankful to have them. They've been doing very, very well. So that's awesome. Hey, so one of the things that, and just unashamedly, we want you to know in advance is, 
uh, Dylan's come home with Molly and the kids, and, and part of it is to come home, but part of it is to just to go around and share with, uh, this new thing that they're doing with Daughters of Hope. And so I want you just to listen because we're, uh, he came actually in, in, in email, we've uh, talked on, over Skype, just some of the stuff that, that the next step that they're taking, this kind of calling and vision from the Lord. So why don't you take some time to share this new thing that you guys are, are, are doing we're, we're starting this year a, a new training center for at-risk girls, for girls between the age of 15 to 20. And the reason for this is because in India, uh, the, we can't employ anyone younger than the age of 18. So we've had people in our community come approach us um, that run other children's homes or orphanages and say, I have this girl, she's aging out of the home and we need to find something for her to do. And at 15, 16 years, that is generally the time when that happens. And we, we have to say we can't hire her legally. We can't take on anyone under 18. And just so we said, t- tell them what happens to a lot of these girls at that age. At that age, especially girls without um, parents, um, are very susceptible. It's a very tender age for being um, brought into the human trafficking and slavery, which is a real threat in this part of the world. And a lot of times it looks like a friend or family member or someone saying, uncle saying, yeah, come with me, I have a job uh, for you in this city. And it's basically being sold into slavery. And it's a real threat. And, and, And just like all around the world, people prey on the weak and on the lonely and on the isolated. And so the a community of people watching your back does wonders to fight trafficking. And so we've had a, I'll just share the story of one of the girls that's going to be joining with us. Um, her name's Deepa. And she, we have, she's had a very unique and, and, and uh, horrific story. She's 19 years old now. Several years ago, she was married off to a man who was decades older than her. And she, um, about 18 months ago, um, they got into a fight. Her husband covered her, in, covered her in kerosene and lit a match. And she's burned badly from the chin all the way down to her legs. We came across her um, through some friends of ours. Um, some of you may know them They're from this area, Harrison, Taylor, DeJarnett. Um, they're also there. We came across her in uh, this home for the dying and destitute in Bangalore. Very terrible care. She was there laying on a bed with these horrific burns that had not been treated. She needed surgery, she needed physical therapy, and she needed it now. So we were able to take her and, and, and get some surgeries done. Um, she has had some therapy, and now she's living with a social worker um, that we work with that a lot of her women come from. She is um, the primary type of girl that we're going to be working with in this Daughters of Hope training center. And she came, came to us for an interview to meet with us about the, this new uh, coming out with the training center. And she said, I feel like I'm dreaming right now. I've never thought something so good could happen to me. With all that she's been through, she feels like she was on cloud nine. She said, she said I've always wanted to learn to sew. I've always wanted to be a part of something like this. So that's what we're, we're all about at Daughters of Hope, is keeping the dream alive, keeping that, keeping that hope alive, that there is, a, there is a place where you can feel loved, that there is a place where you can be safe. And you know what? Well, we're going to direct you to the one 
who's created you for a purpose. So the training center that we're going to be, like I said, it's going to be 15 to 20-year-old girls. It's going to, it's going to be a one- to two-year program. We'll, we'll train them in sewing and computers and cosmetology. And at the end of the training, they can come on if they want and continue and work at Daughters of Hope once they're, once they're at least 18 years old and continue in this community. We have a zero turnover in Daughters of Hope. The, the ladies that come just never leave. It's just that they love the community, not only for the benefits of the work, and the, we have free lunches, and we have health care and a savings plan, but they say it's a community that's just saving my life. And the Lord is working so mildly in the community. We have so many Hindus that have come to know the Lord that now these new ladies will come, and they'll say, yeah, I used to be a Hindu, but here's what Jesus did for me. And that's this year what we're seeing is just transformation in our small groups. And, and, and ladies, they, they, they tell us, we've had several our ladies say, no one has ever valued me enough to teach me anything, anything. What else can you teach me? Tell me about Jesus. It's like such an open door, such an incredible open door. That's awesome. If you could, and kind of in the spiritual sense, like I know, like we could all probably say, yes, it's obvious why you're doing this, right? We see a need. But talk to me about what was going on in your heart and your time of prayer that really led you and Molly to this place. Because this is, this is a, I mean, this is a big undertaking. It's, uh, you, you have a business you're running, right, in ministry. What, kind of, what led you there? Yeah. Well, in, in India, there's a, a lesson that we have to learn and that all missionaries need to learn very soon, and then the sooner the better, and which is this. The need is not the call because there is so much need in India, you will be overwhelmed. There's hundreds of other projects we could be doing. There's hundreds of other, thousands of other people we could be helping. But our call is not to fill a need. Our call is to the Lord Jesus. And, and to follow his will, his calling in our life. And so, you know, as we, you know, we, we were just, um, we, we had, the Lord had opened some doors. And Molly and I had been praying about this and just really felt that this is, yes, God is in this. You know, this is what he's calling us to do. And personally, I live my life by this philosophy, by the, uh, uh, the theologian Frederick Beekner, And he says, God's will for your life is where your deepest joy and the world's deepest need overlap, where they intersect. And so if you can imagine two circles, and the, your, the things you love to do, that your deepest joy, and the world's greatest need, if there's a sliver where those two things overlap, and there almost always is, that's God's will for your life. And if you, if you hate the outdoors, maybe Amazon Basin isn't for you, right? <laughs> But there is something, and, and, and for Molly and I, like, there is, there are things that we, we just love to do and that we love to pour ourselves into, um, and, 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 and it's also filling a need that God's called us to. So it is, you know, we've really just felt so strongly God specifically opening doors, calling us confirmations, you know, for this has been the next step. Yeah, that's awesome. So with that in mind, uh, one of the things that, that Dylan's home doing is he's making connections, talking to different churches, because in this new project, it obviously requires a, a different financial commitment. And so what they what I'm just going to and I'm sharing this with you from Vintage's side that we want to come alongside and encourage this. We want to help him make connections in this. And so I'm going to throw out some numbers to you. And I'm and I'm putting I'm doing two. I'm asking two things. One. 
hey, pray, God, how would you have me give? But two, God, who would you have me connect Dylan with? Do you see that? There's two things that we do. We, we, we give and we connect him with the others who can. And maybe someone that even you're thinking now, my gosh, so-and-so needs to hear about this. And what he has going on is this. Right now, to, to get this started, he talked about it starting in July, is number one, there's $15,000 worth of just startup costs. You know, any kind of thing that you're starting, it just has startup costs. So $15,000 is the startup cost, and there's all these different variables to that. Also, along with that, you have your monthly expenses, which is about $2,500 a month or $30,000 a year. So basically, to get this thing started and running for this upcoming year, it's $45,000 of U.S. dollars to get this thing started and going. So I wanted to encourage you today, if that's something that, hey, this is stirring in me, I'd love to come alongside and financially support Dylan, make your checks out to Wesleyan Fellowship partners, or you can just put WFP in the line. It'll be fine too, okay? You can do that today. You can, he'll be over here. So afterwards, that's number one. Number two, Dylan's going to be over here later. And he actually brought some of his, some of the stuff that they create in India. Now, how many of you ever heard of Glory House? Glory House has a lot of, a lot of products and stuff. They sell them. And I just said they do in all these women's boutique places. They develop and create that for Glory House. They actually make it, send it back over, and sell it, and you buy it, right? So if you ever bought anything with Glory House, awesome. You're doing ministry without even knowing it, right? Helping them. It's fantastic. And so he actually has some of that stuff over here. You can actually purchase. I want to encourage you to go over and do that later. Also over there, there's a sign-up sheet. And that sign-up sheet is to get on their email list. Yes, I'd like to hear more about this. Yes, I want to give you $10,000, okay? I'm going to pick up my person right now. Whoever stop-ins, give me $10,000. I'm just kidding. I'm going to do that. But seriously, I want you just to pray into what would God have you do? Who would God have you connect Dylan with just to make these connections? He's going to be here for a week. Uh, and most importantly, he would say this, continue to pray for them, continue to pray for the family, continue to pray for the ministry, and definitely continue to pray for all of these women, just the two we've seen today and all of the others, okay? All right, so with that, anything else that you would have for us that I missed? All right, fantastic. Give it up for Dylan real quick. Thanks, man. All right. What if I had really, like, done this and stopped on you? You would have freaked out, wouldn't you? It would have been awesome. You'd have gone, no, I don't even have, I don't have that money. All right, um, let's dive in this morning. How many of you know Easter was last week? Yeah, all right, good job. Yeah, we celebrate that. Uh, so we don't have to think about Easter again until next year. I'm just kidding. Easter's every day, right? And we, we have a resurrected, victorious Lord Jesus who lives inside of you and me every day. So every day I wake up and go, Jesus, you kicked butt and you took names. Praise God. I mean, literally. Awesome. He won the victory. And so when we come today and we come to church on Sundays and we just wake up every day, we wake up into the celebration of the resurrection that this is still empty. And I'm pointing to the cross. And so as we come in today, we want to celebrate this. We want to celebrate the reality of the cross now being empty. Jesus being victorious over sin, over death, over sickness, all of these things that, that are equated to the enemy and the work of the enemy. And, and here's the thing about it. Some of you need to hear that for no other reason 
that you, if you're honest, you live hopeless every day. I mean, we hear the stories, this even of, of these women. You hear these stories and, and you're, it was this level of being overwhelmed, right? Here are these women who are struggling. Here are these women who are overwhelmed. And, and she said, I, I have to be in a dream. This is too good to be true. And some of us may not have that level of tension going on, but we have that level of uh, animosity going on, that level of, of oppression going on, at least in a physical sense, but maybe we do spiritually. And so every day, part of the shift that happens in our life is just waking up to the truth of resurrection. Even if I don't feel like it's true, I praise God that He is victorious. Victory begins with the name of Jesus on our lips. And praise coming forth from our mouth. And so as we come in, just so that we're post-Easter, we're never post-Easter, right? We're never post-Easter, but we've come into this moment now of celebrating what God has done and celebrating the truth of it in our life. And this morning, we've, and we've been talking for the last several weeks, whether you've known it or not, leading up to Easter, we've been talking about just the work of God, the work of God in our life and how he shapes and moves in our life. And basically what we've been talking about is that when you give your life to Jesus, we've said it before, when you give your life to Jesus, actually the moment, even the moment you're born, even before you're born, when God thinks about you, he has an image in mind. He has an image in mind. He, he, sees, he sees you. And when he sees this image of you, he says, this is who I created you to be. This is what I've designed. This is who you are. And so the language we've been using for the last, really since January, is this image, what he sees, this is your real life. This is the real life, the only real life that you have in Christ. This image is your real life. And we said before, you can't get yourself there. Only Jesus can lead you there, right? But this is the image of God. And we said the image of God is, part of it is, the first part is, being who God created you to be. So from January until Easter, I talked about that. So go back and listen to all of those messages if you missed it, right? We talked about who, being who God created you to be. And we just simply used the image of Peter. Here's Peter. He, in, in Luke 3 and 4, he's just living his life. He's just an average, ordinary, no-name fisherman who's probably thinking, my gosh, I'm going to have to fish for the rest of my life, working the, the, the night shift every day of my life. I mean, let's be honest, I love, I love my brothers, but let's be honest. I mean, if you see the same person every day for like 100 years, that gets old, right? And so, especially when they're not family. So this whole dynamic going down right here is like, ugh. And Jesus comes along, meets him, and says, I'll make you a fisher of men. And four years later, his shadow's healing people. Which one's the image Jesus had in mind when he thought about Peter? This one. The shadow healing guy. Right? Shadow healing guy. And I'm saying to each of you, you're living your life, there's an image that God's moving you towards. It's your real life, being who God created you to be. And then the next part of that is we're moving into in the next upcoming weeks and months is now doing what God has called you to do. 
doing what God's called you to do. So the, so the idea of being a Christian and moving into this image of God that he has for us is really simple. It's being who God created us to be and doing what God has called us to do. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 and begin to get to see a picture of this, okay? So starting in verse 1, have your Bibles, you can turn there, you can turn your iPads, your iPhones, whatever your Bible app, whatever it may be. If you can just look on screen, you can just look, close your eyes and listen, ever how you learn best. I'm a, just so you know, if you talk to me, I'll probably forget, I'm a visual learner. So if you want me to learn anything or know anything, write me an email, okay? Or send me a note, because I'm a visual learner, so that's why I read. As for you, so you here represents the, those who are listening or reading, the, listening to the reading of Paul's letter at the church in Ephesus. You know, they would bring it in, a reader would get up, they'd sit in front of the church, and he would just read, someone, he or she would just read the, the letter from Paul, right? So they're sitting in a group like this, it says, as for you, and he's talking to all of those people, but also every person who would then read or hear the message afterwards who are followers of Jesus, a.k.a. the church, a.k.a. you, as for you and me, you were dead, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Press pause, recognize that apart from Jesus, apart from the work of Jesus, all of us, all of us are bound by the work of the enemy, right? And we are deserving of wrath, deserving of death, because you can't save yourself. If you sin once, you cannot live for eternity with Jesus unless someone pays your penalty. Okay? So each of us, all of us, we're gratifying the cravings of our flesh, living in our transgressions, wrongdoings, living in our sins, right? Verse 4. But there comes a but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings and in our sins. Because, don't forget, dot, 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 it's by grace that you've been saved. And so what Paul's coming and doing is saying, you are all sinners and dying and going to hell. But God loved you. God loved you. And in his great and rich mercy, he worked to make us alive with Christ, even while we were in our sins. But don't forget, dot, dot, dot. You've been saved by grace. You've been saved not by your work, but by the work of God. You couldn't do it. Only God can do it. Don't forget this. So he keeps on going. And God raised us up with Christ. We talked about resurrection last week. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming in the, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. He wants to bless us. He saves us to bless us. Verse 8, for it is by grace, he's reminding him again, but don't forget, you didn't do anything to make it happen. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, the only thing you have to do is believe. Believe, commit, and follow. So it says through faith, believe, commit, and follow, right? And this is not from yourselves. It's, from, it's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. 
Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, is what we've talked about for the last five weeks. It's the story of redemption. We were slaves. God set us free through Jesus. We were enemies of God. We were in wrath, opposed to Him. He reconciled. He fought to set us free, to cause the, the divide to go away and to create a way for us to get to Him and be in relationship with Him, right? And you didn't do anything to earn this. You couldn't do anything to earn it. It was only by God's work and our response is we believe. We believe. We believe, we commit, and we follow by faith. And then he comes down. This is the being part. This is who you are. This is what God's done for you. This is the story of Easter. You've been raised up now. You've been raised to new life. Resurrection's happened. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Some of your Bibles say God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see the nature he's getting at? God's done this work. Now that he's done this, recognize we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do Doing what God has called you to do. There are, listen, there are works that God has called each of us to do, right? That he has prepared before we were even born in advance that you would do. There is something, there is something that Craig is called to do, that he's called to do, that I cannot do because it was not prepared in advance for me to do, but for Craig. We have these things, right? We've been saved. He comes in. He has works for us to do. So in this beauty, I want you to see three things. I want you to see three things from this chapter. I'm going to, this from, the, from this one verse, I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Number one, for we are God's handiwork. For we are God's handiwork. Now, this is a description that Paul uses. He's describing us. He's describing God's children. And I do not want you to miss it because it is beautiful. It's overwhelming and it's powerful because the Greek word here for handiwork is poema. Poema. Everybody say poema. Poema, right? And it's where we get the word poem. We are God's handiwork. We are God's poema, right? Poema is something that's designed by an artisan, which we language we use is an artist or an artiste, right? We have this nature here that poema, poem, something designed by an artisan or an artist and it's kind of an poem that represents anything that is created at the hands of an artist. And it could be a statue. It could be a poem, like I said. It could be a song. It could be any piece of architecture, whatever, right? The only other use of this word in the New Testament actually is from Romans chapter 1, verse 20, talking about creation. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can read it here. It's talking about creation. It says, it says, having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That phrase, what has been made, creation, is poema, 
poem, the handiwork of God. And so what we're getting at here, so it says, for we are God's handiwork. He's saying, for just as God's creation and the beauty of creation is God's poema, it's his handiwork in our going down into death and now our new creation, we are now God's ongoing handiwork Poema, we are God's poem. That is amazing. If that doesn't get you a little bit excited, then someone needs to pinch you. Because what we're getting at here is that God, in this new creation, looks down and says, I'm going to make you into a piece of art. You're my handiwork. It's beautiful, right? Before our conversion, our lives had no rhyme or reason. Conversion brought us balance, symmetry, and order, right? We are God's poem, his work of art. Michelangelo was once asked, you probably heard it, sort of said, what are you, when he was chipping away to shapeless rock, and someone said, what are you doing with that rock? And this person, he said back to him, I am liberating, I'm setting free an angel from this stone, how beautiful is that? This guy who just did this work with his hands and rock that we still marvel at today, don't we? We look at it and go, and we're enamored by it. The beauty of it, we sit at it, we look at it. It is overwhelming. And God is saying to us today, you are my handiwork. You are my piece of work. I am your artist and I'm painting your mural. I'm painting your picture. I'm writing your poem. I'm building your statue because when I built it, I want everyone to look at it and be inspired by what I've done. You, Todd Fuller, are God's handiwork. You are his poem. And he is creating each of us for the purpose of setting out for everyone to see a light on a hill, a city on a hill. Do not put it under a bushel, that light. Let the whole world see. Be salt, right, into flavorless meat, right? I want you to go and be visible. I want you to be seen. I want my handiwork to be, to be revealed to everyone. And I want them to see it because I want every single person to step into Daughters of Hope, every Hindu lady who's living on the margins of society, and I want them to come in and, be, and hear the story of other Hindu women who have been shaped into this beautiful poem, and they sit there, and these women are inspired, by a woman who beat a man because he didn't let her on the bus. And now she's God's stinking handiwork. She is sitting there as God's poem and a statue of God's beauty for everyone to see. That is you. You are God's handiwork. You are God's poem, and he wants the world to see you so that they can be inspired by the work of his hands. Number two, we are created in Christ Jesus. We are created. The beauty of this is you're not just randomly happening, but you have a creator. And how many of you know there's only in the history of the world been one ultimate true creator? His name is God, and he is made of a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anything the enemy does, the cheap rip off of what he saw God do. 
How many of you know that every... I'm not going to go there anyway. So this, this beautiful, right? What God can do. What God can do. So we're clearly created in Christ Jesus as a creator. It's God. He's shaping us. He's, he's forming us. And the idea of being in Christ Jesus speaks to, to us now being under the name of Jesus. We take his last name, right? We are now securely grafted into the family of God. You can't be ripped out. And you can be assured, assured of spending and living in eternity with him. We are created in Christ Jesus. We are his hands. Handiwork. He is shaping us. He's forming us. And we are now part of his family for eternity. And we can rest. I don't have to live at odds anymore. I don't have to live in this broken place. I mean, if you sit here and listen to Dylan, if you sat down with his women, it's like they, listen, we sat down with them a year ago when we were there. And our team just sat down with them just a couple, like, like last week or whatever it was. And, and, and these women... I mean, they're looking at us and thinking we're crazy for being there. But, man, they're like all smiles. And they're just happy. Listen, if you walk around India long enough, you don't see those smiles and that happiness everywhere that you go. You just don't. I'm not saying they're unhappy people. I'm just saying there was a difference between walking on the streets and walking into Daughters of Hope. I mean, isn't that beautiful? I mean, their name, they are now Daughters of the Hope of God. They live with hope. I mean, they had no hope before. That should blow you away. Because when you become the image of God, when you become the bearer of His image, because it's this artist who's creating it, right? Then all of a sudden you become this person of hope, and everyone needs that. We're bearing His image. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Third, we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Created in advance for us to do works are what you would think they are. Acts designed specifically to benefit others which are characteristic of God. It's like when I were to say to you, like, tell me some good deeds that you could do. Tell me some good works that you could do. And you automatically have some of those things like this, well, caring for the orphan and taking a meal to someone in the house, right? And what, like you have all the things that you can think of, going to an extra neighbor and babysitting their kid for the day, whatever it may be. Whatever you would classify as a good work, as a good deed, that's what it means. To do good works. Each of us in that moment, right, we have our own expression of what that good work looks like. The thing that God's calling us to. The need's not to call like Dylan was saying is beautiful, right? But there's these things that, 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 that Bucky, who's coming today, hey Bucky, right? Like there's things that only Bucky, Bucky's called to do. He has a sphere of influence and friends I don't have. I can't influence his friends. He has works he's called to do. I can't do his works. We have these works he's called us to and they're a characteristic of God. We go and they're all about serving those that are in need, right? This is what we're talking about. So we said a couple weeks ago that we've been, that we, instead of, instead of using the phrase born again, we said like they did back in the day, a hundred years ago, that we've been seized by the power of a great affection. Salvation, we've been seized by the power of God's undeniable affection for us. The result will be in our lives, good works. Giving our life away. We have to remember, we've already read it here. Paul was great to tell us in chapter 1. In verse 4 and down in verse 9, or in verse 8 and 9, saying it several times. Listen, salvation does not depend on what you did. 
does not depend on works. You can't earn salvation. You can't make it happen. You can't, you can't earn your salvation, right? Salvation does not depend on good works, but salvation 100% must lead to them. You can't, listen, people can say all the time in like the, the theological world, they get all, they get all upset about talking about works, but the fact is this. If you're a Christian, you have to produce good works because it's the fruit of Jesus being inside of you. And Jesus is not inside of you, then you will not produce good fruit and works according to God. So if you are a Christian, you can't earn it by works, but your life will be marked by works because he prepared them in advance for you to do them. He doesn't prepare, he doesn't prepare works for this half and not this half. We have these things that, we, that God has called us to. One of the things I came to this week is that we did not become a Christian so God could serve us. We did not become a Christian so God could answer all my prayers and make me happy and give me lots of money and make me happy with my kids and make sure I have a great job and to give me a nice car and to make sure nothing ever bad happens in my life. I did not become a Christian so that God could serve me. Unfortunately, that's what you're told. If you want to become a Christian, God will give you joy. Become a Christian and God will make you happy. Become a Christian and God will give you whatever you ask for in his name. And so you're sold this bill of goods, which is a false, go- false gospel. Yes, those, a lot of those things will come in the midst of sometimes difficulty, misery, oppression, and marginalization. Just read the, read the, read the, read the book of Acts. Jesus died, people. And all of his disciples were crucified too, or murdered in some form or fashion because of their faith. We did not become a Christian so that God could serve us. We became Christians, and our response is to live selfless, serving God. And that's the paradox of Christianity, because there's no joy apart from giving our life away in humility. The only way you find joy in life is by giving it away and serving others. So here's my question for you. It's for me, too. This is the question I had to wrestle with this week because God shared it with me first. I'm like, dang it, God, way to go, right? Here's what he said. Steve, the, I'll just put it in, I'll put it in my lent for me. Steve, the bulk of your energies, the bulk, here, pay attention. This is the biggest thing I'm going to say today, I think. The bulk of your energies, Steve. Do you spend more of that time thinking about and serving yourself or thinking about and serving the needs of others? Like, did I spend more time thinking about how things impacted me in my daily life, in my my time, in my children, in my energies? Did I find myself getting frustrated because I didn't get my expectations met because someone said something mean and I think that's how how dare they because they infringe upon my rights? Did I spend more time thinking about myself and what I want and what I quote-unquote need? Or did I spend more of the bulk of my energies focusing on you and your needs and the things and how they impact you without taking regard for myself? Do you spend more time thinking about your personal life driving to work this week and how the naysayers on our 
hyper-conservative radio stations are telling us that we're going to hell in a handbasket and our health care is all up in a all up in the fall up in the air, and we're losing all of our money. Our stocks are diminishing. We spend more time thinking about how that's impacting us, or do we spend more time thinking about how it's actually impacting the poor and needy who have absolutely nothing? Did you spend the bulk of your energies focusing on yourself this week or somebody else? I did not have a very a a, a great answer for Jesus when he asked me. I actually had to stop what I was doing. And use that Bible word. We called it repent. Had to ask for forgiveness for how I had spent my time, my, un- my, in- my money, my energy, and my resources this week. Simple takeaways that I want you to have this morning coming out of Easter are these. God saved us because he loved us. God saved us because he loved us. God empowered us in the resurrection through the Holy Spirit coming. God empowered us to love him. We love him by doing what he asks. First John 5, 3, this is love. This, this is love. It's real simple. This is love for God. To keep his commands. What Jesus was asked, what are the great commandments? All of the Bible is summed up in these two phrases. Love God. This is the command, right? We love him by doing what he asks, keeping his commands. What are his commands, Steve? To love God with all of our heart, all of our soul and all of our mind. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as you love yourself in doing good works, right? Love God with all of your energies and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you express love to God. God has empowered you to love him that way. And he, we are empowered because he saved us, because he loved us. Here's a story and then I'm done. It's a guy by the name of William Wilberforce, lived in, in England back in the late 80s. Excuse me, 1780s, right? 17, late 1700s, late 1700s. That's like 80s, you're like, 1980, hey, awesome. Right, they're like in the late 1700s, right? You've probably seen this, maybe seen his, have you ever seen that movie, Amazing Grace, that was about William Wilberforce, right? So here's, here's this guy, like, like a lot of people, he grew up in the church, right? But as he went off into college, he fell away from faith. And when he was 21 years old, he's very wealthy, he's very prominent, right? He's very smart. He has the gift of woos. Everybody likes him, right? He can win others over very easily. He's living his life, and he goes, I'm going to run for parliament. He runs for parliament, and he wins as a 21-year-old. He and his buddy William Pitt. They run for parliament. He wins. And then when he's, he's doing great, and he actually holds that post for 50 years. You can do the math. So fast forward, 25 years old. He's been working hard, right? He's earned it. So he goes on this European tour for several months. And, his, and I think William Pitt was supposed to go, but he ended up not being able to go. So he invited this random guy he didn't know all that well to come alongside who loved Jesus. Oh, divine setup, right? So he goes on this journey, and somewhere along the way, he comes face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gets confronted with it and wholeheartedly devotes himself to Jesus, right? He's just overcome by God's affection for him, right? And he says, he says this in his own language in this moment. He says, I had a sense of my great sinfulness and having so long neglected the unspeakable mercies of God my Savior. That's poetic right there. I've got to just read it again because it gets me all fired up, right? I had a sense internally of my great sinfulness 
that I had so long neglected the unspeakable mercies of God, my Savior. So in that moment, right, he gives his life to Jesus. He comes home and he has to step back into Parliament and he struggles. Because see, in Parliament, right, his primary job is to keep the government running, keep the country running. And he recognizes that his country is running on the back of slaves on plantations in the empire. And he recognizes that this is opposed to Scripture, opposed to God's will. And so he's like, God, I cannot continue to perpetuate this thing in Parliament when I know we're functioning because of the money and the power and the influence found in the slave trade. So he has a crisis moment. And the crisis moment, he's like, I can just retire. He's 25. How awesome would that be, right? 25, I can retire, right? I can retire or I can go to full-time ministry. Or I can stay in Parliament. I can't see myself doing that. So he goes and he finds this, that one of the, the most well-known pastors and ministers of the day is named by the name of John Newton. John Newton had, right, had his own experience of coming to the Lord. He had, he had lived under the weight of condemnation and guilt because he had been one of the most renowned and well-known slave traders in all of Britain. And all of a sudden, he comes face to face with his own sin, the unspeakable mercies of God, my Savior, so much so that, it, that he was compelled to write a psalm maybe you've heard of called of Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch, a slave trader like myself. And John Newton sits down with William Wilberforce and having his own understanding of God's grace and God's salvation and God's joy and love inside of him. Amazing grace, how sweet it is, right? And he has this great moment. He sits down and Wilbert Williams is sharing his tension, sharing his cross, sharing his struggle. And John just looks at him and, and says these words that define the movement forward. It is hoped and believed that God has raised you up for the hope of the nations. It is hoped and believed that God has raised you up for the hope of the nations. And all of a sudden, the need became the call. He said, I'm going to devote my life to ending the slave trade in Great Britain. So he goes back to Parliament and begins to fight for 20 years. He gets beaten. His house is burned. He is ridiculed. He is ostracized. He completely lives in this tension and the oppression. He is 100% marginalized in the moment. He's embraced by a small community of, of believers, but ultimately he's ostracized and living on the fringes, right? Living in, and, and so for 20 years he lives with opposition from Parliament. Everyone opposed to him. And finally, 20 years later, 20 years later, he's sitting there in the moment, right? He's sitting there in the moment. 22 years later in 1807, and all of a sudden they go to Parliament because they're voting because every time they come, he presents this bill. Let's pass it. Let's pass it. Let's pass it. And all of a sudden this time he just stood, he just sat in his chair as people, person after person after person, all of a sudden begins to proclaim the goodness of God. So we have to end the slave trade. And one guy got up, I didn't share this at nine, but it says something along the lines of, tonight, William Wilberforce needs to be able to sleep well 
Because this thing he's been fighting for and he's cried over and wept over is finally being passed. May it be so. And everyone stood up saying, hurrah, hurrah, hurrah. And William just bowed his head and wept. And wept. And he wept. Because the fruition. Listen, the poor guy for 22 years did not eat sugar. By God's grace, because slaves worked on sugar plantations. Eighteen thirty three, three days before he died, he hears from the House of Commons that a law had been passed emancipating and setting free every slave from the British Empire. Elijah and William Wilberforce was a human being just like you who said, not on my watch. I will fight with everything inside of me and do good works prepared in advance for me. This is my call. And friends, I want you to hear me say this morning, before you were even conceived, God prepared in advance good works for you to do so that he could say, here is my handiwork created in me as part of my family. And I've put William Wilberforce's and those like them on display for the world to see. And my friends, that's what we heard from Dylan this morning. And those are the stories that he wants to tell through you. Because there are works that only you can do, that I can't do, I was never meant to do, because God preordained in his sovereign will for you to do. And my question for you is simple. Where are the bulk of your energies going? The bulk of your energies every day. Are you focused on self? And defending how much, how much, how little time and energy you have, how many, how little resources that you have. These women have less in more difficult circumstances. And if you ask Dylan, he'll tell you stories of them going back to their friends and their neighbors and being a statue of God's grace, his poema, a poem to their neighbors, and people are being changed because of these women. If they can do it, then by God, so can we. And if we are going to be the Christians who are living up to the image of God's real life for us, then we have to be who God's called us to be, and we have to do the works that he's called us to do. And it only happens when we die to self and we come alongside and say, only what you have I live submitted to you. I will love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind. And I will love my neighbors. Let's pray. Father, this morning we begin simply by praying. We begin by praying for Dylan. 
for Molly and the kids. We pray for them first and foremost. God, you continue to sharpen them, continue to grow them, continue to mature them, continue to show them their areas of immaturity, the areas of growth, the areas of growing into your likeness, growing into your image. And God, would you continue to increase their reach, their influence, and would you continue to just to increase their impact in Bangalore, India? Lord, we ask and pray, God, that you would give them $45,000 on the snap of your fingers because this is your will, this is your desire, and you will make it happen. God, would you convict us today to give money to them? Second, Lord, I pray for our people this morning who are sitting here. Jesus, we ask this morning for breakthrough. God, we ask this morning you would show us, just out of your love for us, where the bulk of our energies are going, that you would show us not to be mean, because that's not how you even did it for me this week. It was just a, a waiting, like that aha, like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I completely, I, I just, it was almost a level of ignorance me getting here, but I repent, God, of, of, of focusing on self. And Jesus, help us today, Lord, to begin to see our time our money, our energies, and our resources in a different light. God, to see them through your light. That, God, we would, we would take steps tomorrow and the rest of the today because you've called us to. God, we've heard your voice. But we ask that you would change us, shape us, direct us, call us out, Lord. Lord, I pray today that you would simply reveal truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning.